0: and welcome to the modern maker podcast for thursday january 4th 2018 i think i said 2018 in the last one i meant to say last one of 2017 so now first one of 2018 with me as always mike montgomery and ben ueda
1: what's up hello
0: hey that did we plan i know they always talk about that on uh,
1: on making it on me but we nailed it i first think i try. just
0: accidentally did that we didn't even plan to do that. Oops. I guess I'm being inspired. Anyway, today is, as I said before, the 4th of January, otherwise known as National Spaghetti Day. And no joke, the, I, like the past week, I've been wanting spaghetti and I haven't had spaghetti forever. And it, I feel like it's all leading up to
1: this. Wow. It's time to indulge.
0: Yeah. Spaghetti time,
1: boys. <laughs> spaghetti time.
0: Cool. I got nothing. What are you working you. On? I could say something about spaghetti. <laughs> let, let me
1: riff on spaghetti okay, a little cool. bit. Okay, Okay, because I, mean, I didn't have too much to say about it.
0: Well, here, let, let me uh, let me give you something to ponder. I've always thought it's funny that like, or I thought it was funny when I was little that spaghetti was like the most popular of the pastas mm. that you hear about, but it's not the best. Like, maybe I've just because it's thing. messy and so kids like it because it's messy or something.
1: You don't have to chew it as much either. It's pretty efficient.
0: You can just slurp it up. Yeah. Ben, what but- do you got on Spaghetti. <laughs>
2: Well, in uh, college, my housemate had this thing he called sink spaghetti. Oh, that's um, sounds disgusting. And <laughs> uh, I'd always like come home like from drinking or going out or something, and I'd always see him like standing over the the kitchen sink, and he'd have just like a jar of pasta <laughs> sauce and like a loaf of bread, and just like kind of like pour it the sauce into uh, <laughs> like the bread like a taco and then eat it over the sink so that it, mm. it wouldn't spill and yeah. he's like i'm like what are you doing he's like sink spaghetti like as if like that was a real thing <laughs> come on he like, knows this he's like well you know that way there's it doesn't make any dishes and it's like it doesn't uh it doesn't take any time to prepare hmm. so i, I do like, a eat a, a lot of on things something. over the
0: sink like if i just grab something messy real quick and i just want to chomp it down and get back to whatever i'm doing i'll eat over the sink yeah, it makes do sense. Yeah. I'm not above it. All right. Now we can... That's enough on spaghetti thoughts. Yeah. What are you working on, Mike?
1: I am working on a revolutionary idea. Oh, boy. A year or so ago, you may remember Dave Paciuto of Make Something. He put out a video about how to make a metal-based coffee table without welding. Mm-hmm. And whenever I saw that video, I initially kind of... It got my wheels turning on other ways you could do the same thing. Make a coffee table with a metal base... But not welding. He used something called aluminum brazing, which Mm. is kind of like soldering, like what you do with copper pipe, um, but with aluminum pipe. But I've come up with a new little way of doing it where I'm taking square aluminum tubing and then while I was at Home Depot today, I realized that they sell square dowels, which I don't know if that's still a dowel, but just square pieces of wood that fit perfectly into those aluminum tubes. So my plan is to epoxy the wood on the, on each piece of the aluminum bar for the mm-hmm. last like inch or two of it. That way, I can drill holes through it all and basically use wood screws and epoxy to put together a really strong metal base. So is it going to um, be
0: like a wooden base that's like veneered in aluminum when no, the whole no, thing's no, no, no. done, kind of?
1: No. Essentially, it'll be a, a base made out of square aluminum tubing, but uh-huh. on the ends of each bars they're filled with wood basically. And that gives Mm -hmm. something that I can send wood screws into, or I can send bolts into depending on what I decide to use. And then I haven't decided yet on whether I'm going to fill the holes in and then with putty and then paint everything flat black, or if I'm going to leave the screws exposed and kind of use that as like, make it look like I'm not trying to hide the fact that I'm coming up with like a DIY fix for it. But I don't know. I think it'll be cool. It might be one videos, maybe two Um, If I'm able to explain the whole process simply and efficiently, I'll make it one video. But if it turns into this whole thing where I run into a lot of problems and have to figure it all out, maybe I'll turn that into its own video.
0: How thick is the... Okay, so like how how proud of the wood would the aluminum sit?
1: So the tubing itself is three inches or three quarters of an inch by three quarter of an inch the Mm -hmm. outside diameter but the walls are a sixteenth of an inch thick okay so i'm able to put a five eighth inch square dowel and epoxy that into the center of each of these tubes
0: i wonder if it's it might be too small to do it because the first thing i pictured it would probably have to be thicker to do this but like if then you could put wood pieces at the top where the wood is poking out of the aluminum to make it flush with the aluminum Mm -hmm. that might look like a cool design where like it's I don't know these yeah. pieces that are like half wood and half al- or not half, but aluminum with little accents of wood poking out.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking about doing for the feet. Mm-hmm. That way, it was a square frame all the way around, but the the frame set off set off the ground about an inch, and that 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 wood was poking out of the bottom. And I thought that would be cool. Yep, great minds. Cool. Thinking a lot. In, in those exactly. in
2: those applications, I always like to use the star head screws because I think feel like they look just a little bit fancier on the heads.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I was debating on trying to find some like brass screws or something like that, but I don't know. I might I might get some star bits. I I haven't figured it out yet. You know, but I, aside from that, oh, go ahead.
2: That.
0: Well, I was going no, to say, because I used to use the SPACs one, so you know whatever, yeah. like a Torx head screw or whatever, and I would always wonder, like, man, why would you, anytime you could use one of these, why would you not use them? Until I mm-hmm. got that impact driver, and now I realize how easy it is to not strip <laughs> regular it's so Phillips true. head ones.
1: It's so true. Aside from that, this week on Wednesday, I put out a video using the Arbortech ball gouge to make this neat little desk lamp. I stacked up a bunch of three-quarter inch pieces of pine plywood and I got this, I mean really it looks like a plastic fishbowl, but it's really for pendant light fixtures, mm-hmm. but it's just a glass clear sphere that I used as the shade and basically this, this shade is recessed into the wooden base. The lamp comes right through it. And sets in the center of this globe and it looks pretty funky, pretty neat. I got a neat little LED Edison bulb that looks kinda fancy in there, so I'm happy with how that one came out too. Yeah, it looks
0: cool. Yeah. No, that I, was the first I,
1: time I used uh matte polycrylic. Yeah. And I'm a fan. before yeah. I'd always used satin, but I was worried about it being a little too reflective with the light being in there, but oh, yeah. the matte I'm gonna be using that more.
2: You should get some uh some Mold Star 30, the, the silicone mold-making stuff, and then make yeah. a mold out of the, the plywood piece. Uh-huh. And then you'd have a mold, a reusable mold, that you could cast a whole bunch of concrete things so you could batch out a whole bunch of lamps really quick. Uh, yeah.
0: And then get on Etsy.
2: For real. <laughs> I have bad luck with concrete, though. <laughs> uh, it's easy in those like small things in like, a waterproof yeah. mold like that. Super easy. All right, what are you all working on? Chris, what do you got?
0: Uh, so nothing much new since last week. I think last time we recorded, I was... I had just set up my table saw, so I had not started building my media console thing. So I got that all finished and squared away, took all my finishing pictures of it and ending shots yesterday, uh, came out cool. So actually now I do have experience working with the, the I don't know, what would you call them? The tools that are more diy Yeah, contractor yeah. grid. So I would say that first off, everything like came out great. There's no errors with anything no issues with like cut quality or anything like that. I changed the blades on them. I didn't even use the blades that they came with just because, especially working with plywood, I figured it would tear up the veneer if I didn't. So that's I a got, good move. Yeah, higher tooth count blades for the table saw and the circular saw. I would say that the one thing that I realized is just less than accuracy, it's the speed. So mm-hmm. working with and like set the up bigger time. table setup time, yeah, st- all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and the same thing with like the track saw versus the circular saw. So it's one of those things where it's like, and I think we've talked about this before, you know, the the circular saw that I was using was 80 bucks, probably something like that. Whereas the Festool one that I use is, I don't even know, 600 bucks, 700 bucks, whatever. And obviously it's not 10 times as good as the the DeWalt one. It's just <laughs> a little bit quicker. So it's one of those things where like, you know, if you're a hobbyist, that extra... $530 probably is not the best investment. But, like, if you're doing this day in and day out and, you know, you want to be quicker, then it starts to make sense and, and you see where these tools have their place. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's – I don't know. I mean, it, it was fun using them. I I imagine that I'll use them for some other projects in the future. Um, but, yeah, the biggest thing was just speed of them and then also because I had to, like, drag everything out to the driveway every time I wanted to use something. So,
1: Yeah. So when's this video coming out?
0: Um, It's probably it's going to be sometime next week. I'm not sure exactly yet because so I don't think I talked about this, but what it is, it's going to be for true value. And me and Johnny from Crafted Workshop, we're both going to be doing a video and it's centered around the same theme of man cave, because when you think of four eyes, you think of manliness. Yes. Naturally. Always. always. <laughs> First thing that comes to mind. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be sometime next week. We got to talk with the sponsor and, and between each other to make sure that everything's on the same page, but it should be pretty cool. And I don't hold me to this cause I'm not for sure yet, but I think there's going to be a really big gift card that's going to be attached to this. Like we're talking big enough to like, you know, if you're an aspiring DIY or maker, like definitely enough to like really get you kickstarted on having a shop. So that's More awesome. details on that later, and hopefully it'll be middle of next week, I'm guessing. Cool. Ben, what do you got going?
2: Uh, well, the, the the slight buzzing sound that you hear in the background uh, is a uh, bunch of 3D printers going. So we're working on a bunch of 3D printing projects. And at the same time, I've been uh, editing the video for the stake boards. Um, So I don't know if I've mentioned them yet here, but I I posted a teaser on Instagram and it's the sort of, you know, with like Instagram stories now, you can sort of archive or, or pin some, your highlighted stories, stories, right? Like to that. So that's like, it's, it's in that sort of highlighted things, but cool. I used the, the Carvey CNC machine. So uh, let me backtrack a little bit. So I was, uh, talking to one of my friends who owns some restaurants and, uh, we were talking about, you know, just. What, what are actually the sort of dishes that are tried and true that always sort of sell well in any of the restaurants that he has and he was saying you know as a chef he's not really super inspired by steak fritz because uh, you know just a skirt steak and some uh, fried potatoes not the most uh, challenging thing he's like but it's it always does well because people feel comfort comfortable ordering it and who doesn't like steak and french fries right. Um so we were, we were talking about what, you know, maybe there's a way you can just improve like the presentation and the idea that, you know, steak knives, serrated steak knives aren't a great way to cut steak. Uh, they're just a great way to cut steak on hard plates without dulling the knife because not as much mm. of the blade comes into contact with the, the porcelain. Oh, okay. So what he was saying was that uh, it's actually, you know, much more enjoyable to, to serve steak with a really sharp conventional knife. On like wood, right? Because then you get that, you know, you're like a sushi chef. You just slicing yeah. right through it. But you get the feel for it. Yeah. If you did that in a restaurant, you would constantly, one, you know, you're handing your your customers really sharp knives, and two, uh, the, <laughs> uh, you know, you'd constantly have to resharpen them against conventional plates. So we, I, I did this design for basically it's like a plate made out of maple, and I'm just using three quarter inch thick maple and I routed like a little canal around the edge of it. So one Mm -hmm. that's great because it keeps any of the juice from dripping off the steak, but more importantly, it funnels all that delicious meat juice into like a reservoir where you could add some other base for a sauce, right? So in the sort of video that I did, I I added some like chili paste, uh, which is kind of like sriracha, but with less sugar. It's like a little bit more concentrated. Um, And so when you cut the steak, all the juice gets collected and then mixed in with the, the chili paste. And then you have this like little dipping sauce built into the thing that you're serving it with. Um, so it's just a really simple CNC project. It's one of those ones where I'm, I'm working with inventables uh, on showing how you could use a machine. Everyone always says, Oh, that's really awesome. If you have you know a CNC machine, that costs a thousand dollars, you know, as they type it on their laptop that probably costs more than that um <laughs> that they don't use for anything other than uh watching videos um as i say like, making yeah. fun of you yeah, yeah. um so i want to show more cases how you could you know come up with one or two designs and literally build a business or start a business around one of those machines and i think this is like a great mm-hmm. example So, you know, it's only using about, uh, you know, uh, six and a half, seven inch wide maple board, and it's only using about 11 inches of it. So, uh, I think I could, you know, the, my friend wants to order a whole bunch of them for some pop-up dinners. And, uh, right now we're testing them by putting them through the dishwasher and seeing how many uses he can get out of it. But, Mm. uh, you know even if he can get just uh, 50 uses out of them and then he could recycle the wood into something else. Once the sort of the thing, you know, once it completely breaks down and just splits from the, the constant exposure to a, an industrial dishwasher. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's kind of a cool thing where you could kind of, you know, probably on one product or one project, do a batch of them and make the money back for the machine on that yeah. one sort of sale. And, you know, doing stuff for restaurants like that is really interesting. Um, One, it's like if you're a custom woodworker, uh, maybe not so much in like the fine woodworking, um, but they're pretty interesting commissions because one, restaurants are always getting flipped over, meaning they're going out of business and then someone else has to re-event renovate it. So I know a lot of my friends that are interior designers have always done well doing interior designs for restaurants because they develop a shtick. And one of my friends who's an interior designer here in Boston has like, redesigned the exact same restaurant, the, the same, the same address, like three or four times for different restaurants that have come and gone into that space over the last 10 years. Um, wow! so, uh, working on that, on, on editing that and some 3d printing projects. <clears throat> and then, uh, uh, for a sort of more down the road, I've started, uh, sort of milling the lumber for, I'm going to be batching out a whole bunch of different, uh, kitchen Island projects. Um, cause I was looking at like sort of remodeling trends and that's like one of the most common sort of DIY renovation projects is to add a kitchen island. Um, oh yeah. So, uh, I went recently to the stone yard and got all those cool slabs of slate and marble and stuff like that. So I have all these different tops. So now I'm making different bases for all of them and showing a bunch of different techniques and I'll probably end up doing about three different designs for it. Um, and, uh, yeah. Basically just making s- tables with stone tops.
1: Very cool. Awesome.
0: Question. Okay, that, that dish that you said, Ben, what do you what do you call it? Steak frit
2: Steak Fritz. The un-
0: Steak Fritz, the uninspiring one. I was thinking, what's the equivalent in our space? Dining. So what's cables. the furniture <laughs> <laughs> just dining table. and <laughs> yeah, I think coffee it's tables? Like, yeah, coffee like, tables, maybe. But it's gotta be like hairpin leg on
2: hairpin leg yeah. dining tables. Yeah, <laughs> like a,
0: a, a square piece of plywood with hairpin leg.
2: No, it'd be more mm-hmm. like a, you know what it would be. It would be more like a live edge slab with hairpin legs.
0: Yeah, that's probably it. Because it's like still high. It's still something that's high quality, but it's just kind of like right.
2: The material is doing most of the work, but right. You know, or steel based You know, wood. Uh, you know, live edge slab. Um, there you go. Yeah. To For somebody that charcoal. knows the amount of effort that goes into
1: it, compared to what the customer, the value customer, gets from it, there's a big like differential there because yeah. it looks really high end but it's not <clears throat> anything crazy you know
0: yeah not yeah. super laborious sweet okay. what are we talking about
1: We're
2: materials talking about materials beat you and to it yeah Dang it. so I thought we'd have like a nice episode where we talk a little bit more a little more basic shop talk and, and, and riff a little bit of materials and the way I thought we, we would do it is we we would talk about sort of like our our favorite sort of go-to material and that's not of all time that's currently of the moment uh, we talk about something that uh we've used multiple times but always gives us a little bit of trouble and hopefully that'll open it up to uh the listeners to send in their tips for for working with that and then uh we'll sort of end with one with one that we're all sort of interested in experimenting more with so i'll I'll sort of kick it off with my sort of favorite sort of go-to and that would definitely be like three quarter inch plywood um you know i've I think most of my favorite projects have all been plywood projects, um, the, the staircase, the, the zip tie chair, uh, the plywood table. Um, you know, I, I just think one, I like that it's available anywhere. Uh, you know, most countries have access to some sort of sheet goods, even more so than they might have access to two by fours. Um, I, I think, you know, the strength and versatility, I like that you can laminate and make sort of structural members out of it. If you look at, like, what high-performance structural beams are in a lot of buildings, they're, they're often glue lamp beams, which are almost, or, or LVLs, which are literally just beams made out of plywood. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think it's like the one material where if you only had that material, you could still pretty much make anything with it. Uh, so, I think that there's, you know, that that being said, the one thing I haven't used that much is like the the finer plywoods, like the Baltic birch and stuff like that. I tend to just use the the, the Home Depot grades, and my go-to mm-hmm. is probably not even the furniture grade plywood at Home Depot. It's probably the sanded pine plywood, um, yeah. which I've noticed is a little bit different East Coast versus West Coast. Um, but I just think wrap. Like yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it's used for like floor under underlayments or stuff like that. Um, but it's 32 bucks a sheet and, you know, you can make all sorts of cool stuff out of it.
1: Yeah, I'm going to piggyback on, the little, on that one a little bit. And I'm the same way. I've used like really nice walnut plywood twice. Mm-hmm. And aside from that, I've used, you know, the maple and birch stuff mm-hmm. a little bit. But I've got to say the pine plywood is great. And I've mentioned it a couple of times probably on the podcast already. It's just that that veneer face is so thick with the pine plywood before, I kind of was on this really 50 50 fence on whether I liked using plywood or not because me not being the most like technical woodworker, it seemed like every project that was very plywood themed, I would sand through the corner of a ply, like I would sand through that veneer at some point. Mm-hmm. And there's like nothing worse than getting to the final sanding process and then totally effing up your project. So once I like was just looking through Home Depot, <laughs> And it was the price of it is why I even looked. I looked over and it's cheaper than that here. I think it's twenty nine bucks a sheet. Mm. Um, but I just saw that and I was looking at them and I was. And one day they just had a, kind of especially good pine plywood. So I grabbed a couple of sheets and whatever I built out of it. Whenever I was doing it, I realized that that veneer face was so thick, and I could just, I could literally use a belt sander to flush up the corner of plywood. And that's something that you probably should never do unless it's that specific plywood. So. Mm -hmm. I've been a huge fan of it. Like that lamp I just built. It's kind of cool being able to mess around and use it as like a texture and like some kind of like selling point for a project where I could have made that lamp base out of a solid piece of walnut or I could have made it just out of a piece of pine even. And it would have looked cool. But I think the fact that I made it out of plywood took it from just a simple project to kind of like a little bit of like a statement type piece because the plies on the edge really play off of the, the visible layers that are coming out through the bowl it almost looks like a tree, like, grow the tree rings, almost, is what it reminds me of, because whenever I carved it out with that turbo plane, or not turbo plane, ball gouge, it didn't leave me a perfect surface. You could make that recess with a, 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 a lathe really easy, too, but it would make perfectly smooth and symmetrical lines, but because I hand-carved it out, all those plywood layers, the lines are kind of wavy on them, and it looks really organic and neat, so... It was kind of fun playing around with playing around with like plywood as a visual texture even more than just you know a material for the sake of being a material so right. yeah
0: Mike when you talk about sanding through the corner are you talking about like if you were doing a butt joint at ninety degrees and they didn't quite line up and you were trying to sand them flush
1: something along those lines yeah okay yeah, yeah. I,
0: it, it's funny because so with the project that I just did I made it out of the it you know it's a plywood tv console basically Mm -hmm. um it's all walnut so like you know the higher quality um plywood stuff and i was thinking if for somebody who did have trouble like getting them getting everything lined up just right i took my time and i was i used like a corner clamp thing so i was able to get it good enough to flush where like i could just do a little bit of sanding and get it even i would say like if you are someone doing that, maybe err on the side of leaving it inset a little bit so that that way, whatever you're sanding is the edge of the bottom or top piece. Or even mm-hmm. you could use that as almost like a design look. Like if you were to leave like a half inch of mm-hmm. overhang or something, it could just be another aesthetic to add on to the piece.
1: Yeah, that could be cool. And then the that's been one of the times that I've like sanded through the veneer. And then it's also happened whenever I was flushing up edge banding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, a. but granted, it was just another mistake where I was, I had the sander and I kind of, you know how sometimes yeah, you kind of quit paying something. attention for a minute and it just tilts on you and it was, yeah. I was sanding with 80 grit. I shouldn't have been sanding it with 80 Oh grit. yeah, that's
0: pretty aggressive. Especially, yeah, for a little piece of, like the edge banding will go pretty quick, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah, when I just I, didn't want to take the time to switch out the sheet is all it was and. You pay I for to, it, you know? I used to
0: always just, like, only sand with 220 whenever I was doing plywood, and lately I've been actually doing 180 and then 220, and I found oh. it's been working a little bit better, actually.
1: Very cool. Okay, because I normally start with... I pretty much have three sandpapers in my shop. I have mm-hmm. 80 grit, 120 or 150, just depending on what I have, and then yeah. 220 is okay. usually all I have. So... And that usually works pretty nice. Nice. But... Yeah. actually.
0: yeah. I don't know if we talked about this before. I was actually thinking about it today. We might have. About if you could only use plywood or hardwood. Has somebody asked us that question before? I don't know.
2: I think so. We had something like that. I think we said plywood.
0: And Ben, what (laughs) what you were saying about that you can basically build anything with it. I would say the... So like obviously hardwood you could build anything out of also. But I think the big advantage with plywood is that you could build almost anything out of it with a really limited set of tools yeah right yeah obviously I love plywood too but actually my (laughs) response to this question is a little bit different so maybe I'll ask a question and then you guys can talk me into something so I almost find that like in this space there's a uh, like a, a forced desire to want to work with other materials. Like you have to want to do that so that you can expand your skills and try new things. And I do want to do that, but I don't find myself like that driven right now to do it. So I'm always like, well, should I just like force myself to do it so that I expand on things or should
1: I just wait until I actually naturally want to do it? Just do what you want. Just from like knowing you as much as I do, you seem like the very, like a lot more of a focused person than I am in terms of like, whenever you want to learn about something, you learn as much about one thing before you move to the next thing. Yeah. Whereas I learn just enough to be able to get this done so that I can try something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's just personality type is all it is. And I think you should just, you shouldn't, don't make yourself do anything that you think you should want to do. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. See, I almost have this feeling like once I like, if I'm like, okay, I'm going to start working with metal, like I'm going to go whole hog into it. And not that I would then like quit working with wood, but like, I'd be like, Oh, I got to get this and I got to get this. And I want to have like a full setup going and like really throw myself into it.
2: Mm -hmm. It, Yeah. I think it's like, it's funny when, when people ask, uh, I was listening to the minimalist, uh, podcast Mm -hmm. and, you know, they were sort of talking about the best way to organize things. And I always think that when someone's, what's the best way to organize things? I said, well, for me, it's always what depends on whether or not you're a messy person or a neat person. If you're the type of person that every time you use a tool, then puts it back away. uh, Or every time you take off a shirt, you put it into the dirty clothes bins. And every time the laundry gets done, you fold it and put it away in like drawers. If you're that kind of neat person, then you should have like a cabinet or hook for every single tool that's sort of like labels and doing that because everything's going to go back. If you're a person like me, which is not neat and organized and you just kind of make chaos and then do like a big cleanup at the end of the day or end of the week or end of the month, <laughs> um, you know, then it's like, you know, too many compartment, too many compartments never get sort of, uh, used. So you just want these sort of bigger bins and sort of categories. Uh, they'll sort of take advantage of the of uh, of quickly sorting the chaos into a somewhat uh, acceptable manner, and I think it's the same thing with this, right? You know, uh, I, I like going to the Cheesecake Factory. There's a million things on the menu. Maybe that's more like when you think about the type, of the amount of different materials that I use. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas what you're doing <laughs> is you're going to a much greater In degree, exactly, right? <laughs> there you go. Um, So I think the, 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 you know, there's multiple anytime you add one variable to a project, it's going to change a lot of things. So I think like, you know, just adding uh, a CNC machine into your sort of a range of options is going to add a lot of variability. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I keep sort of, you know, taking stabs in totally different directions working with stone one week concrete the next week wood the next plywood 3d printing uh molten metal etc right Mm -hmm. um and in doing those i sort of make little discoveries that i might then all synthesize into a project that that has a lot of different things going on to it whereas you're more it's like you're you're you're, you know you're you're more investigating within a more contained area but doing it really thoroughly and then every once in a while you add in like a new tool, right? Mm -hmm. So I I would see it more like if you just add subtle variables, that's going to give you a lot of differentiation. Um, And, you know, adding a CNC machine or, you know, I could see you not working in all this sort of crazy metal, but just subtly sort of experimenting with what's the difference between like a brass inlay versus a wood-on-wood inlay. You know, mm-hmm. the, the metal's obviously less forgiving. It might change the way you do things. You have to be a little bit more precise, et cetera. Um, so I, I think I could more see you sort of definitely adding things in, but folding them in so where you can sort of thoroughly investigate that, that one new variable so it's not just mm-hmm. sort of a random one-off.
1: Yeah, and the other thing about it is every time you add a new variable, there's a lot of time loss like factor within there. Right. Just as the lamp, for example. If I w- just built a normal lamp, I could go to Home Depot and get those parts really fast. It wouldn't take me any extra time. But I saw that plastic globe thing. um, And so then I had to find out where I could buy it online. I had to wait for it to get to me. I had, you know what I mean? There's like that whole process involved of doing something new. Whereas if you already are familiar with the products, where to get them, how to source them, how to use them. Because there's also that like break in period of like Ben, the first like five concrete projects you made. You probably had three of those that totally failed because you're not used to like the exact perfect ratio of water to concrete or any of this. So there's that whole barrier of entry every time you learn something new. So that's something that I'm kind of uh, that's something that I'm kind of focusing the first couple of months of the year on is trying not to experiment too far because I want to pump out some projects. And I kind of realized that kind of towards the end of the year, looking back on projects that it's like, man, every time I try something new, there's like two days of just figuring stuff out before you really are building. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And especially since you you still have a full-time job slash pretty much full-time YouTuber, mm-hmm. that's a lot of time. And you don't have a lot to lose, you know, or waste. Yeah,
0: I almost feel like, in a way, like, I look at the same way that you guys almost look at a new material, I do kind of look at, like, a new tool. So, like, you know, if I was mm. to get a turbo plane or a ball gauge or, or gouge, uh, like, you know, oh, cool. What kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what kind of things could I do with this? Uh, um, the one thing that I will say though, that the times that I think most about wanting to experiment with new materials, it's actually less about wanting to use that material and more about just like the fatigue that sometimes you get working on a few similar projects in a row where you're just mm-hmm. like, I need to do something different. Like I just need to change of pace. Those are the times when it actually becomes the most intriguing to me.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: any other thoughts on the topic what are we what are we moving into now
2: so now would be what what's the sort of material that always drives you crazy
1: mirrors right mike
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah mirrors that's a well, gim- that's a layup i'm working on some concrete planners right now and mm-hmm. i am going to be pouring the second batch tomorrow because the first one's failed uh and that tends to happen. I've had quite a few concrete projects just not turn out as great as I wanted them to. I've also had a couple that came out really great, so there's definitely the there's the upside, but concrete it seems like hard hard fail or like really good pass. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of middle ground so far with concrete projects.
2: Yeah, concrete's an interesting one because it's the slow setting time. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. minimum you're waiting sort of twenty four hours for it to sort of set. So on, on one hand, it's incredibly cheap, which is awesome, because you can make something, but but buying concrete furniture or paying someone to do concrete work for you, especially finish like a concrete fireplace or something like that, super expensive because it's so labor intensive. So mm-hmm. it's it's this weird thing. It's like the opposite of 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 like a walnut slab. A walnut slab, you can finish it with very little labor, but the material is super expensive. Yeah. yeah, concrete's the exact opposite. The material's really cheap, but you end up making something really valuable by putting a lot of labor into it. Mm-hmm. The other weird thing is like so the, the so that's what's great about that it's so cheap, but it's really heavy, uh, it's really messy, <laughs> and uh, you know one little mistake, and you know if you you might do like a coffee table that used three bags if it's screwed up or doesn't quite come right all of a sudden you have to get rid of a slab that weighs 240 pounds <laughs> um, that's true yeah so it's high risk high reward uh if you know if, if you figure out a great technique and you execute on a on a concrete project you can make something that could easily be sold for hundreds if not thousands of dollars that only cost you you know 50 bucks in materials mm-hmm. so but you could also end up with a graveyard of like three or four broken ones uh, that you have to pay someone to haul away because it's it, it's so heavy. Um, it's also, it's like, you don't know if it's going to, you know. You don't know until the next day at least. Right, yeah. whereas like wood, you're getting feedback in real time. You're cutting it and you're seeing mm-hmm. it. Okay, guys, sh- sh- cut a little bit more and stuff like that. Concrete, it's like, you don't know until way, way later. So it's kind of a, a weird uh, a weird process that way. Um, yeah, but yeah. it's
1: fun it's 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 fun and sometimes frustrating and challenging but it's cool to f- do projects that aren't just woodworking a lot so it's worth it
2: yeah my my sort of tricky material that i always struggle with is uh acrylic or plexiglass i never mm. quite get it to do exactly what i want uh when i do it, and, and there's been a few projects that i've tried that i've just never published that uh just didn't come out either you know i always it always sort of chips when I cut it, even when I tape it or use like the plexi blades on like the table saw. Uh, I've here. tried the little scoring and snapping technique, and that just makes so much noise. <laughs> or like <laughs> almost it does quite it perfectly, the line. right? And then one part just sort of goes all off on 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 a diagonal. Um, yeah, so plexiglass always drives me uh, a little bit crazy, and then also uh, uh, any sort of like edge banding or stuff like that now i recently saw some like uh, i think it was like an ad on on instagram where they're showing that you actually use this like tape and then this whole little system that looked pretty easy but i've never gotten edge bands to like work that well for me there's always like one little corner that's not quite adhered and it's just like it's like a <laughs> like a hangnail kind of thing it's just, like just wants someone to sort of pick at it um yeah. so yeah those are, those are the two things that have always sort of drove me a little bit nuts you got to make your own. You got
1: to make your own edge banding. That's the way to do it. Cut them strips. Yep. Yeah. I think
0: uh, actually, just thinking and while I, you guys were talking right now, I feel like the best way for me to st- like really force myself into wanting to work with new materials and being excited about it is I should probably try to work on like doing a few more collaborations this year. I think that's a really good way, especially like when somebody has a little bit of expertise in something, so that you can like in a way kind of like hit the fast forward button in terms of if you're, if you're working with the new material on your own for the first time, it's probably better that you keep it a little bit simple and try to do something a little bit more pedestrian maybe. Whereas like, I think that's why a lot of times I'm not excited to work with a new material because I'm like, oh, I want to make something really cool like right out of the gate, even though mm. there's a good chance you're going to fail. But if you collaborate with somebody who has a little bit of experience, so like, you know, if me and Ben were doing something with concrete, Ben Mm -hmm. knows about concrete. I don't know anything about concrete. I've never done any concrete work in my life. It would be a way that I could like say, okay, here's like an aesthetic idea that I have in mind. And then that person could look at it and be like, okay, here are the problems with what you're thinking. Maybe we could do it this way. And you could kind of like make more progress quicker than you would be able to otherwise.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would love to see you collaborate with someone to do some lamps, uh, Chris, because I think it's something where you could have a lot of fun uh, doing something that does isn't isn't so sort of gravity dependent or sort of, sort of as structural dependent as some of your uh-huh. bigger furniture pieces you could be sort of more free form and sculptural with wood and because mm-hmm. like sort of the lamps are often smaller you know you could it would, it would be very freeing I feel like to, to maybe experiment because you're not using lots of material if it doesn't go well and then working <laughs> with someone that really knows how to sort of wire things into all the sort of small spaces and, and combine them I would love to see you sort of do like a wood chandelier type thing
0: You know, it's funny, every time that I see a cool bulb, so like, Mike, when I saw that bulb that you just used, I do, Mm -hmm. like, for a split second, be like, oh, I gotta do something with that bulb, like, it's awesome looking, and just, like, a way to highlight it, and then I never, like, think to go, like, look, like, how much are these, and (laughs) where do I buy them, and I just, like, it falls out of my mind by the time I'm in front of a computer.
1: Yeah. Well, I got it from Ikea, and it was $18, so not that bad. Too rich for my blood.
2: Okay, what's next? (laughs) So and then the the third category would be a material that you're interested in experimenting uh, more with. And I have quite a few of these, but I'll I'll, I'll limit it. Uh, The first one's Corian, which I've sort of mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Um, It's especially for CNC and digital fabrication uh, projects. It's just something where that's food safe. You can heat form it, but it feels like stone or like a super super hard wood. And so it's got such an unusual set of characteristics. I feel like it's kind of a unicorn in terms of materials, where it, it, it has these weird things. There's very few things that are sort of food safe, um, mm-hmm. he, you know, heat formable, but also really hard, harder than maple. Um, you know, so that's a,
1: really cool. You could you could heat it up, put it into a form, and bend it and mold yeah, it. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So,
2: Would it be
0: good for like making those plates that you're making for the steak, or would it dull the knives too? Uh, It
2: would dull them a little bit more. It would be good for I would do use it for like a sushi plate or something like that, or something with fish where you really don't want to absorb smells and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I think I might end up doing like some sort of sushi kind of uh, platter out of it. Um, It's also you can machine it thinner and it becomes more translucent. The thinner you cut Mm. it, so it could also be really cool for lighting. and I have a big sheet of the ice mint color, which it sort of looks like super hard toothpaste. It's kind of badass. Um, <laughs> how much is cool. it
0: like that? Okay, so that sheet that you're talking about, like what are its dimensions and roughly how much does it cost?
2: Uh, the white is a lot cheaper than the colors. The, mm-hmm. the the white Corian, I think it's like, I got like, a, it's a weird, weird dimension. It's sort of like a four by 10 foot sheet of it oh, wow. for uh i think like 600 bucks or something like that oh, okay pretty expensive and but you can four. make a lot out of 4 yeah. by 10 Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not going to you're um, not going to use
0: it for making a huge and i think like the case or the whatever. ice
2: mint was like 800 or something like that uh there you go but uh yeah you can do some pretty cool stuff with it the other uh uh well to we have two other ones uh, the other one is mdf i haven't mm-hmm. used mdf in a long time and i always mean to use it more because it's uh i mean it's kind of a it's always kind of thought of as like this kind of like you know bastardized really worthless right. material, right? Um, but it's actually a pretty cool thing for milling because it doesn't really get any chip out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's no sort of uh, directionality to it. Mm. Um, so I think there's some potential with sort of MDF, uh, and and it's also very dimensionally stable. Yeah, uh, mm. the thing mm-hmm. that sucks about it is super heavy. It's hard. To yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> the an dust. MDF sheet sheet is is pretty uh, terrible. That's uh, what's
1: interesting though, is if you're using it from a carving perspective, you're not, you're not breathing in all that dust, which is for my part, why I hate using MDF is anytime you're cutting it, it's for whatever reasons, if you breathe the MDF dust in, like it it irritates me way more more than anything else. More glue, less wood. (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) Uh, So MDF is one, I think, I think you could do really interesting uh, projects with that. I think there's probably some cool ways to finish it too, uh, that, that you know where you purposefully are using it. i remember like for a while is like uh sanding uh oriented strand board or osb real smooth was like kind of a cool finish um now mm-hmm. it's it already looks dated um <laughs> but i think mdf is something you could do some cool experiments with it's a cheap material dimensionally stable and then the other one is polycarbonate uh which i think that's what you used for your greenhouse right mike it is yeah It's an interesting material because you can use it outdoors. It's clear. It's cheaper than glass. It has better thermal properties. And it's very uh, UV resistant, meaning that it doesn't, you know, get weird colors over time in the sun. Um, So I think I'd like to do some more kind of like, you know, in between sort of like glamping and sort of greenhouse projects out of polycarbonate in the future. Or even maybe make like a little, you know, a little uh, like kind of like camper trailer kind of thing
1: yeah that could be cool little modular cabin or something yeah on my list for the year i want to stick for the first couple months i want to get back into woodworking i've been more interested in kind of what you're talking about chris i really have a couple project ideas where i want to use box joints something i've never done before Mm -hmm. um i'm kind of interested in learning dovetails but i wouldn't hand cut them also using a (laughs) jig um I'm interested kind of in trying a couple of the like finer woodworking techniques that I can kind of build a little bit more repertoire on. Mm-hmm. And in terms of stuff that I want to try more of, I want to get a little bit more into leather. Um I've got a sofa idea that I'll be building sometime soon that'll inquire leather leather cushions because Well you've that already seems got the ball gag, so 'cause Because <laughs> from what I've <laughs> from what I've seen from Ben, that looks a heck of a lot easier than learning how to sew. So Ooh, so-so. <laughs> so so. <laughs> so I'm yes, definitely yes, interested yes. in that. And then the other thing that I really want to learn, and which is a little bit out of the box, is I want to learn how to laminate, like get really thin laminates, mm-hmm. and learn how to attach that to like you know a plywood surface or an MDF surface, like what so, you're like, talking about, ben. like
0: veneering something.
1: Yeah, because um, it seems like anytime you use a paint roller or a paintbrush, you get a decent enough finish for camera. But in person, like if you use a roller brush, it's always got that roller, those roller marks, like from the foam. Or if you use a paintbrush, then at least in my experience, I always see paintbrush marks, and mm-hmm. I hate that. And that's what usually makes it to where I don't want to paint things. Are you talking but about painting I think it, wood? Yeah, painting wood, okay. painting whatever it is, but just yeah. painting by hand rather than spraying. Right, but. I think it would be really cool to get a bunch of different laminate sheets because you can get them in four by eight sheets, same size as this plywood and mm-hmm. build, you know, some pieces, but throw in some cool like visual textures. And yeah. I don't know of anybody that's really doing it very much on YouTube. So could be a cool thing that I could trademark a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, I was thinking about that, uh, Mike, recently because I was looking at that guy, uh, uh, uh woby that kind of does the, the stuff out of uh, the skateboards Skip-ins. and stuff. And he gets yeah. those really nice colors in the laminations. And mm-hmm. I was yep. trying to think like if there's a way you could kind of stain or kind of like get a really deep penetrating uh, colored stain on some plywood and then alternate the layers So you could kind of like create that kind of impact so that when you did, I mean, it could have been something cool for like the way you did uh, your lamp just now. Cause yeah, when you would carve totally. through, you'd see those colors. You know, with like, I've seen that with like paint, uh, where, uh, I think it was like a, a piece of aluminum of a building and it had been painted like 30 times, you know, over, you know, uh, yeah, a bunch of years. And when they cut it, you could actually see the layers of the paint like plywood.
0: That's now, obviously cool. like yeah. latex paints <laughs> would be
2: way too soft. They would all kind of like peel and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, it, there is something interesting in that kind of, uh, you know, in addition to just the forms you can get by sort of, and strength you can get by sort of laminating things together, but the way you sort of also sort of creating those hidden contrasting color layers underneath that then when you sort of carve through or sand through, it can create like a sort of a secondary grain.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if anybody listening has experience doing this because I don't, I've not researched it much. It's just been something that's kind of been on my mind for the past three or four weeks. I don't know if that's something that you need a vacuum form for, if it if you can do it with you know clamps and pressure. But if anybody has experience laminating, you know, big surfaces, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's like for countertops, I think it would be the same kind of general uh, process. But yeah, if anybody knows about that, I would appreciate any info you'd be willing to give. Uh, so feel free to hit me up on Instagram or email me, whatever. Nice. It's funny.
0: Actually, the first thing that popped into my head was not really a material, but more just like playing with color more, which yeah. is kind of what you just talked about. And a few ways that I thought about doing that. So you guys tell me, is MDF a good candidate for paint? Because it is really smooth and doesn't have a grain. So it, yes. I mean, I think it's kind of porous. So maybe like the first little bit's going to soak yeah, in. Yeah, a lot you of... I have to do a lot of layers.
2: Uh, you know it's funny? In my architecture background, like a lot of really high-end cabinets are just MDF, but they have a real expensive, multiple-layer, high-gloss lacquer applied mm-hmm. over it. Um, yeah. So the material is really cheap, but the finish is super expensive, and it it, it can come out like really, really nice. It almost is, it's like a, it's a really hard paint that's hard to scratch. Um, mm-hmm. That looks I'll, very, very glassy, like an
1: automotive finish. Yeah. I'll tell you the secret to getting a good DIY finish on MDF. Just Bono. painting the face of it is fine. Just make sure you use a primer before paint. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the tough part with MDF is the edges because that's 20 times more porous than either of the faces. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you make a three to one ratio, three parts wood glue, one part water, mm-hmm. and you get a foam brush and you paint that on the edges, let that dry, and then sand it smooth. And that okay. should pretty much block any of the, a lot of it from absorbing into the edges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so. so
0: on on this media console that I just did, I did sliding doors that are colorful on it. Mm-hmm. And they actually came out surprisingly good. It was just walnut veneered plywood that I painted. And it came out like you know, if you're looking at it in person, it's like not quite as smooth as you would like to the touch. And you can see the grain a little bit through it, but I probably put like three coats on it and it came out better than I was expecting to. I thought I was going to have to do more work on them, but I think like, yeah, for drawer faces and that kind of thing, probably using something like MDF, if you wanted to experiment with color would probably be a good way to go. Um, the other things that I thought about would be like acrylic sheets. There's a place not too far from my work. I went there one time and it's like a huge industrial warehouse where they have all kinds of like every color imaginable and you know translucent or opaque like it's like a huge warehouse full of stuff um I'd probably and and the cool thing about that is I could use most of the tools that I already have just getting like different blades and cutter heads to to work with those materials so those are the first things that really popped into my head because I think that experimenting with color is something I've done like a tiny tiny bit on the channel but not a lot and if you like at my house it actually there's like a lot of like whimsical decor, like colorful things that I have in my house. So I actually really do like colorful stuff. My wife used to tell me that I dress like a Skittle because I would have on like a <laughs> yellow shirt and like a purple hoodie or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, those are like the first things that popped into my head in terms of experimenting with something new that, that actually does like interest me. and I, feels, I feel like is not too much of a leap that I could like pretty quickly implement it
2: yeah i think i i would love to see that uh chris like i think that would be that would be really interesting to see your sort of take you know in terms of geometry and sort of proportions and the lines of furniture but <laughs> like but colored one i think it uh it opened, it it would be freeing in a lot of ways because you know you don't have to sort of if you're using like nice wood, you almost always have to kind of show it and then like mm-hmm. accenting any color off of it is doable, but it always feels like, Oh, it's kind of right. You've taken yeah. the cheapest thing and you're sort of putting it in the forefront. Whereas the, the the most valuable thing is getting put into the back burner in that sense. Um, right. but, uh, doing like, uh, yeah. And also I think, you know, experimenting with, uh, sort of completely opaque paints, versus like colored stains like i mean mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to take any water-based stain kind of dilute it and you know you can layer it into the wood uh it'll raise the grain up and then you can kind of sand it and do that but you can get these these nice sort of like landscapy, very especially wood with like a pretty broad grain um mm-hmm. you can get these kind of nice uh it almost looks like kind of like cloudy kind of sunset kind of colors when you when you when you add sort of colored tint to it and stuff like that Um, Mm -hmm. and the other way that I think is interesting is you can kind of then pull the color back by light, you know, lightly sanding it down a little bit. Mm, Yeah.
0: The other thing, one last thing that I want to do at one point this year is I want to build like a really nice high end piece of furniture out of poplar.
2: I just want to see what it looks like. (laughs) I'm
0: I'm sure people have done it before. Poplar
2: can be good, but I, I would accentuate the green, right? Like. Find the greenest poplar you can get and, your
0: hands
1: on. The like green a, just, turns brown though over time, correct? Dang it, I think but, it does. Not if you take the picture uh, soon. Enough. It
2: depends on if it's in the sun or not.
1: Oh, okay. It's with UV, is yeah, what happens. I okay, think. got it.
2: Um, but poplar is a, a joy to work with. It's incredibly straight, uh, and it takes paint really, really well. That's uh, mm-hmm. why it's like it's in. It's like it's a, it's a pretty uh, common. Uh, architectural molding uh type of wood um okay so uh yeah i i think that green could be could be emphasized especially with some like brass hardware or something like that if you did it kind of like a like a a low saturated green with with some brass accents could be really cool
1: yeah i've only used it a little bit but from what i've understood it kind of it machines and works like a hardwood but it's really soft so it cuts buttery smooth um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I really liked working with it. I think I just made a couple boxes with it, but
2: good, yeah, good CNC, uh, hardwood.
1: Ooh, yeah, that would be perfect. Crank up the, crank up the feed rate. Boom, <laughs> oh, baby.
2: Sorry. Yeah, no, I, 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 you know, it's fine too. And it, it, there's, there's been plenty of times in, in history where something started as kind of a cheap thing and then later became valuable. I mean, there was a time when they felt when they fed, uh, lobster tails to prisoners because they thought yeah. it was sort of like junk food. Um, and, and these things always kind of you know switch around and change over time as things become more fashionable. So maybe you, you're just going to ignite the popular craze and suddenly it's going to so become gonna valuable.
0: Make popular, popular.
2: Uh, Again, yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> That's what we're Be a real do. popular guy. All right, should we move on to what we're obsessed with? Yes. Here, I'll go first then. I've talked about this before, but it came back for a new season of Black Mirror, which. Ooh. I, I've watched them all except for the last one, and so far it's been a, a very good episode. Some, or a very good season. Some, definitely some very dark episodes, but there's a uh, at least one lighthearted one in there. So, and it comes right after the darkest one, so that's good. If you're a don't watch out one like right before you go to bed, that way you don't go to bed like too depressed or something. But <laughs> very good show, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I still highly recommend it. Skip the first two episodes from season one those ones are not very good what start on the third episode
2: the first episode is amazing no is that the, the the g- is that the one where the pig is that the way the
1: one where the guy has to, okay yep never mind i don't even want to talk more about it but i watched half of that and i quit i was like i because you Mike recommended so. it chris
2: but i didn't <laughs> yeah, listen see,
1: to, i didn't listen to you say go to the third one i, I, don't like I got that part episode. way through that and i was like i know where this is going And I don't think I want to watch that.
0: (laughs) I felt like that episode was like, it was like a big buildup to like...
1: uh, (laughs) It's got to have the shock value. It's the first episode. It's got to like set the precedent for for what the series is. And
0: and watching it, I felt like, am I supposed to think it's funny or am I supposed to think it's gross? Like I felt like I was in a weird middle ground of like not Mm. feeling any one way or the other. And like I get the social commentary of it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's... A kind of like a turn-off episode compared to what a lot of the other ones are. So I don't... I, I would recommend not to watch out one first because I don't think it gives you, like, a good... It's not uh,
2: representative.
0: Yeah, it doesn't give you a good example of what the
1: show's about. Cool. My pick is a movie called The Killing of a Sacred Deer, and it's also on the that. dark side. It's directed by the same guy that directed the movie The Lobster with Colin Farrell, oh. which was, like, a very... <laughs> it's, like, a very weird indie art flick yeah. but it did really really well like critically and it was the lobster was good it's it's really weird but it's it's good so this came out uh, a little bit ago so i watched it uh, i watched it this week and i was really impressed it's kind of a it's like a suspenseful dramatic horror thriller but not not in a thriller thriller is wrong word more horror in that it's just suspenseful really mm-hmm. but watch it And during the first 30 minutes, remember that it's a weird movie and that you kind of got to let the plot develop because it's it's a little bit slow developing. But I think that's what's really cool about this guy's movies. I'm not even going to pretend or I'm not even going to try and say his name. It's uh, Yorgos Lanthimonos is the director's (laughs) name. Um, But I really like the movies in that he takes a lot of time in the first like act or two of the movie to focus on character development rather than trying to get that like hook at the beginning of the movie to get people like into it um so they're a little slow building but i think it kind of makes the payoff a little bit more worth it because you've invested this time and you're not constantly like bombarded with you know the act three drama versus the act one drama it kind of all kind of plays out as one act which is really cool
2: well, let's, let's keep it into sort of video content. Uh, for for me, I just finished uh, season two of Stranger Things. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that it's, it's not like one of my favorite shows, but I just think it's so smartly crafted to be popular to such a broad audience. Right. Like uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, you know, it, it can it, it's interesting that it can hit multiple generations in, in different sort of points of appeal, like it can hit people on sort of my demographic with sort of nostalgia uh, of the sort of like you know eighties and uh, uh, and then with like young kids, it's sort of is you know the sort of classic kind of uh, sort of youngsters kind of in the know, uh, you know, acting very precociously. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I just think it's such a a cleverly done show that's like engineered to be very addictive.
1: Yeah. Oh, and I feel like since we've all talked about like pop culture stuff, we need to round it out with a good woodworking shout out. So I'm going to shout out my boy, Matthias Wandell. I'm subscribed to him, but I do a really bad job at keeping up with his videos for some reason. Mm -hmm. So I'm for whatever reason, his channel is one that I kind of watch in like six video spurts every four months. And I had no idea he idea he did this, but he built like a motorized scaffolding out of two by fours like for his workshop or whatever. I don't know. It was just like a one of those things that I was like, you know what? People used to make, or I guess they still do in parts of the world, like just rickety bamboo uh, like scaffolding, and that's how they built pyramids. So I don't know why I thought it was so crazy that he built scaffolding out of just two by fours and stuff, but it was interesting.
2: Well, I will also give a shout out also to a Matthias, uh, but this one to Matthias, uh, I guess you would say his name, Please Snig. Uh, P L I E S S N I G. He makes the most incredible kind of like steam bent wooden uh furniture uh mm. that are just epic. They're like a canoe on acid uh, in a <laughs> dolly painting. Um, they huh. are insane. So that's uh, Matthias uh, uh, uh So check him out on Instagram, and uh, it's it's bananas. You're welcome. All
1: right. And I'll tag him down in the description of the podcast. That way you know how to spell it as well. <laughs> no,
0: so, see, I feel oh. like I have to give a shout out to a Matias too, and I don't know any other one, so I just quickly did a Google search and I'm gonna give a shout out to Matias Varella, who is Ooh. an actor from Stockholm, <laughs> Sweden. And he's been active from two thousand to present, and he is five foot ten and a half.
1: What a guy. What That's a it. guy. Awesome. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And you know what? I'm gonna take Chris's shout out. And say go watch his Dwell Made video. It was a good one. I really liked the stacked plywood, like the whole inset thing you did with with the shelves on that console table. Thank you. So and you had the pop of color, you know. I did. So go go check that one out. It's on Dwell the uh on Dwell's YouTube Dwell channel. Made. Just search Dwell Made, like I always say. It'll be up there. Um, and then give it a thumbs up. Um, So yeah, thank you guys for listening. If you want to follow us on Instagram, that is at Benjamin Ueda, at 4-Eyes Furniture, at Modern Builds, at Modern Maker Podcast, and at Dwell Made. How was that? Got it down, man. Boom. See you guys. Bye.